So what's up, folks? It's Taurus Baker, known to the family as Kiki, and it is Saturday, October the 19th in 2019. And I've got one of my favorite aunties staying with me this weekend, and I wanted to take a minute just for her to talk a little bit about herself. And she's a wealth of knowledge on the Jordan family, so I wanted to get some of that rich history uh, archived and documented. So as the generation goes on within a Jordan family, we will have something that we could always refer back to. And like I said, Aunt Ruthie, as I call her, has some wonderful information about our family. And she may not feel this way, but she has a really interesting life story as well. Some of the stories she's been telling me over the years and even just this weekend have just had me intrigued. And I think it's really important for us to share this with the rest of the family. So, Aunt Ruthie, thank you for doing this with me today. You're welcome. I appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to start with something simple. And uh, I have about a good 15 or so questions that I'm going to ask Aunt Ruthie. And we're just going to take a little time to talk about it all. And I want to start with what is your full name and is there a story behind why your parents gave you this name? My full name is Ruthie May Jordan Dash Hambrick. I was named after my dad's sister, Aunt Ruth, from Detroit, Michigan. As far as I know, that's how I got my name. Um, So she was from Detroit, Michigan, by way of Alabama? By way of Alabama, right. Um, Was she one of his closest sisters? Because for him to name you after her, what would say they got some kind of um, connection, right? Some kind of close family connection. Yes. Yes, she was very close. Now, the May, I think, came from my dad's other sister, which was, we called her Aunt May. Her name was Mary. So I'm thinking that that's where the May came from. So as far as I know, that's what. How many siblings did he have? Um, He had two brothers and maybe four sisters, as I can recall. So a fairly large family for the most part. Fairly. Okay. Now, tell me a little bit about where you're from and what was it like growing up there? (laughs) I grew up off Winchester Road, which is North Huntsville, north of Alabama A&M University. Um, We grew up on the farm, of course, with um, nine living siblings. Um, Nine siblings, people. Five girls. Four boys, which now we have five girls, two boys um, living. Um, But we grew up as a large family, of course, very close, Um, fun family, fun siblings. Me being the oldest girl, had to play with all the boys and... 
It was it was a struggle, but <laughs> they were kind at times. And <laughs> at times. Yeah. But when they weren't so kind, I just went inside and I told Daddy that, you know, they were ugly to me or whatever. So and he got that belt and then. Of course, he got that took belt. Took it to him. Huh? Took it to him. <laughs> so um, I, 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 I'm assuming that they thought, you know, being a girl, well, you know, you need to be inside. You don't need to be out here with these boys. And, <laughs> but I had no one else to play with. So, you know, we played with rocks and dirt and sticks and whatever. But, you know, I was. And a kind of a big tomboy, too. But Now, you said you grew up on a farm. So was there a lot of farm work going on that the kids had to do? Um, oh, most definitely. Um, Daddy grew cotton, corn, wheat, all types of vegetables. So um, there was plenty for us to do. And it didn't seem to have an age limit on <laughs> Um, who did what? I mean, we all from little bitty to <laughs> big, and we had plenty of animals on the farm: chickens, cows, pigs. So it, it was an experience. I mean, I'll never forget all of the. You know, we I, I, I tried milking a cow, and <laughs> it was kind of I was kind of scared because. Um, well, first of all, it felt really funny, and plus the cow was like, um, I don't know if I wasn't kind to her or what, but uh, <laughs> she would always kick, and, and, you know, I remember a few times we were, I was milking the cow, and and I guess I had the milk bucket sitting too close, and she was upset, and all she kicked the milk over, <laughs> wasted the milk. Hey, but, be glad it was the milk that's in know. your head, you know? So, yeah, and um, also, oh, man, we had some of the best butter from the from the milk. I mean, it was, uh, it was such a sweet, creamy butter. I mean, it was, I mean, I love that butter. Now, who was making the butter? Was it Was it mama? Was it your, your mama, your grandma? Well, well my grandma. it was a process with the butter, but, um, I mean, it wasn't that hard to make. It kind of turned from, I'm not real sure exactly how it was, but the butter was like a whippy, whippy texture, and um, it was so good, especially with, with the molasses, I mean, you put the butter in there and stir it up, and it was like, oh, man, it was the best thing you could have with some biscuits. So That's awesome. So you guys were self-sustaining, right? You are feeding yourselves and— Pretty much, yes. Um, like I say, Daddy pretty much grew everything we ate from— Beans to greens to, and we basically were raised on vegetables. I mean, uh, meat was a luxury when, uh, whenever uh, we kind of knew when uh, guests were coming into town because um, Mama would kill a chicken, <laughs> <laughs> and it was so sad because she would just. She would take her hand and she would kind of wring the neck on the chicken, and poor chicken would just be 
just tumbling without a head. And, you know, we were small. And so we were like, oh, that is so sad. So hold on. I want to I get this right. So you say she would take the chicken in her hand. She'd spin it around like a top. She'd spin it around by the neck, by the head, uh-huh. until she broke the neck off right. And so, I mean, at times she would, she, I mean, that was mainly how she um, killed the chicken. But at times she would put the chicken's neck on a piece of wood block and, you know, just chop the neck off, which was also cruel. But I thought. Well, we're talking, well, this was the 1950s, right? Early <laughs> 60s. So. Probably early yeah, 60s, that. yes. Mm-hmm. But um, I just thought that was the most. Uh, I mean, the poor chicken da- danced around for about 10 minutes, you know, without a head until it finally just, you know, died. But but that's when you knew family but that's was coming when, Yeah, in, right? and they were, you know, we, mom and them, if they knew family was coming, like, for a special occasion, of course, you know, you you were to put the chickens up off of the yard so they would, wouldn't just eat everything, you know, they'd be kind of clean. And um, little fat chickens, I mean, you know, we we seldom got a piece, you know, after the guests got through eating. If the guests, when the guests finished eating, if there was some left, we might got a piece, you know, maybe the neck or <laughs> chicken neck or maybe feet. a feet or whatever. <laughs> but, but yeah, it was, I, I mean, it was some, I mean, we, we weren't kids that. And I mean, even to this day, you know, meat is kind of an option for me. So I, you know, I can eat a meal without meat because that's basically how I was brought up. So it's not a big deal. I mean, you know, I can eat a vegetable plate and be just as happy as I have a steak in front of me. Okay. Now, you talked a lot about your dad. Tell me who your parents were and give me just a bit of information about them. Who, tell, give me their names. And then tell me what you remember most about your mom and dad. Because I found some things out recently that I didn't know about your father, about my grandfather. My daddy was Frank Eddie Jordan. And he, I know the Eddie came from his dad. So his and, dad was named Eddie? Yes. And um, Did you know him by chance? Did you know your, your grandfather at all? Uh just barely. You he, so you did meet him. He was alive when you yeah, were around, right? Yeah, barely, but um he was a small man as far as I can remember. Not a big not a very big framed guy. And um my daddy I'm not sure exactly what number he I wanna say my daddy was the oldest of his siblings. Uh he had a brother named Uncle John. He had a brother named Willie Howard. Well, as a matter of fact, hold on a second. So he had a brother named John, John Jordan, right? John Jordan. I think Michael Jordan's dad's name was John. You think there's any relation between Michael Jordan out in North Carolina and (laughs) and Frank Jordan in Huntsville, Alabama, Ruthie? I'm not sure. (laughs) I'm not sure. um, And I, I let me recap that. His daddy's name was Willie. David Jordan. Okay. Yeah. And um, I did know very much about him, you know. I just, you know, just in talking or, you know, to other. And his his um, 
grand his wife's name was Hattie as well, Hattie Job. And um Interesting. Now mm-hmm. my father's name was Willie. So Willie. I'm thinking my father's name came from probably my grandfather's father more than probably. likely. Probably. And my mom's name is was Mildred Bernard Jordan. She was a Bernard before she married my dad. And she was a sibling of a large family. I want to say it was as large as I was is probably. She was from a large family. Um, she currently has three sisters living, no brothers. How many? How many siblings did she have total that you can think of that you can name off in your head? Because there are some that I've met, and some of them, like you said, are still alive. And growing up, I do remember meeting quite a few. Now, I never met any of her brothers. I don't know if she had any brothers. She only had, she had two brothers. Okay. Johnny and Charles. And they both passed already. They both passed. Um, Sisters, um... I can only remember four, four sisters, but I'm not real sure if they have any deceased sisters or not. Okay. If so, I don't recall. But Now, the sisters are, we talked a little bit about some of them yesterday. Ophelia, who lives out in Chicago right now. Correct. There's um, Mamie. Mamie, she passed away last. October, October. Okay, now it's 2019. It's October of 2019. So that was a year ago. Mamie passed away. There is Ollie. Ollie, which is currently um, here in Huntsville. Ollie's still with us. Mm -hmm. Martha. Martha, she's still with us here in Huntsville. And the last one, I've named three. Ophelia, Mamie. Oh, that was four. Ophelia, Ollie. Mamie and Martha. So mm-hmm. that's the four. Okay. Right. And they were pretty close as far as I could, as yeah, far as I remember. They, uh, yes. They were, I'm not sure about born, but they were reared in a community uh, east of um, Alabama A&M University, which uh, back then was called Chase, Alabama. Did not know that. Yes. And it was a community, very close-knit community of, um, I want to say about 13, and I may be, I may not be correct on the number, but there were little village houses of wood. Um, they were yellow. Uh, my grandmother lived uh, about midway into that village. I can recall my grandmother living there. My Aunt Mamie lived there because she was married to my Uncle Porter. And they lived on the front side. And um, my grandmother lived down midway. And, of course, Martha and Ollie were married at the time that I can remember. So they didn't live there. And Aunt Ophelia, of course, she was married and she moved to Chicago. Um we would go we could walk from our house 
to my grandmother's house. We cut through uh, Higdon Road, which is like a cut through and crossed over the railroad track. We walked there mostly Sundays or whatever, and I can remember so well my my grandmother was um is she bootlegged? <laughs> so I was small, a small child, and I was like, um, I really didn't know what was going on. Um, all I knew was um, I would go there on Sunday mornings, and and I would say to myself, hmm, my grandmother sure does feed a lot of people on Sundays. Um, <laughs> I thought they were coming there, you know, for breakfast and, you know, mostly men. Well, yeah, mostly men. So um, so she had a little business going on, didn't she? She had a little she? business going on. <laughs> and um, so um, I learned later, of course, um, they were coming, you know. <laughs> to get some drink. <laughs> to get some drink. So... But I can remember my grandmother, she was very, I, I always thought she was, well, she, to me, I mean, she was, I thought she was very mean, but, you know, she was very firm and all, and she was a big lady and all, and I have this one story to tell about. I went there one, one weekend or whatever, and we had, um, I, we had these washing machines that, Run. They had a ringer on them. They were old. They they were they were electric, but you had to pour the water in, you know, and get the water out and all of that. And so, I guess in order to get hot water, um, you had to put a hose onto the hot water heater, put the hose off in the washer, you know, fill it up with hot water. So, this particular day. It was being filled by hot water. So I walked by the washer and I, maybe I bumped it. I don't I don't recall bumping it or whatever, but I walked by and the hose like came out of the washer and it it got hot water on my, my arm. And um so, you know, me being small and not knowing or whatever, I just took a, a a towel and wiped it off, you know, not not knowing that the very next morning I got up and, man, I had blisters all over my arm. I mean, they were just horrible. My grandmother beat me. I mean, she really whipped me really bad because I didn't tell her, but I didn't know to tell her. I mean, I thought everything was okay because I thought when I wiped the water off, you know, I was cool, you know. So I guess, you know, that being probably, I would say probably, if not a doctor bill, you know, it requires some medical attention. So at that time, we didn't have, uh, there was no medical insurance anybody <laughs> no, had. So no. you had to pay out of pocket in right. order to. And to this day, somebody. I still have that scar on my left arm. Where, you know, I, I mean, I probably had, uh, what's the worst degree burn it was, you know, and I mean, those blisters were huge, you know, but. And what was your grandmother's name again? What was your, uh, what was her name? Ella. Ella. Okay. And, um, we always called her Big Mama, but she had the cleanest, 
front yard. I mean, it was like they had, for some reason, I'm assuming that grass wouldn't grow in their yards. So we swept that yard with a broom every day. And I mean, you could literally eat off that yard. It was so, so clean. She kept that yard. So she was all about curb appeal. I mean, no leaves, not a leaf done, you know. And I mean, it was neat. And it was a, that, excuse me, that community was a very close-knit community. It was uh the Childresses, the Bernards, the Jones, the, I mean, it was like, I guess probably 10, 11 different families, but, you know, and back then everybody shared and, you know, everybody took care of everybody's kids. I mean, if your kid was acting up, you know, you didn't have to get permission to, to discipline, you know, that kid. I so mean, that kind of goes back that. to that saying where it takes a village it, to. It goes right, absolutely. So, but very close, you know. And to this day, well, Aunt Mamie, I guess it's probably been about, ooh, maybe eight, seven, eight years. Aunt Mamie and Leslie Ford, which was one of the uh, residents there as well. They decided to start what what we call a Chase Community Reunion. And um, she wanted me on the committee. And uh, since then, of course, you know, I have other siblings that, you know, it was siblings from each family that uh, got together. So once a year, every third Third or fourth Saturday or weekend in July, we get we come together and we have a reunion. That's cool. So the reunion is for um, everybody that grew up or were affiliated with the community. That that includes the older head, their kids, their kids, I mean, grandkids, great-grands, nieces, nephews, all of that. So, and it's a fun time. We usually do Friday nights and Saturdays. Friday nights, we have what we call a um, meet and greet. And uh, we meet at, like, we normally do it at um, the Richard Shower Center, which is a community center. We reserve and rent the room. And we all come together, and we usually have hors d'oeuvres, and we, you know, have stories to tell, and we meet and greet, and, oh, yeah, you are, you know, um, uh, Big Mama's granddaughter, and, you know, we just kind of tell some stories. And then that Saturday, we have, like, well, a dinner type, Mm -hmm. and... um, we have a program or, uh, that we have, like, we do the history, you know, of the um, community, and we have prayer, and we have, you know, uh, memorials of the ones that are going on, and we're trying to keep it going because— It's really nice to see that Aunt you guys to keep that history um, alive. Eight Mamie and Mr. Leslie were the founders, and— you know, they both are deceased now, and 
I know Aunt Mamie looked forward to every year getting, you know, getting with it. And um, we try to do some things for the kids. And um, it's just really fun, you know. That's pretty awesome that you guys do that. Yeah. And that's, like I say, that's on my mom's side of the family. Now, let me ask you something. Um, What did your father, Frank, do to make a living? And how did he feed his family? Daddy was, of course, the only one working, and he did. So Big Mama didn't work? Big Mama. Well, your mother didn't work. My mother did not work. She had too many children to raise. And how many children total? Eleven. Two died at birth um, or shortly after. Um, My daddy did uh, brick masonry masonry work, and... um, course, like I said, he pretty much grew most of his um, food, vegetables, and um, and he farmed. He farmed about uh, probably about 50, 60 acres of cotton and corn and beans. How, how many and, acres total do you think he owned on his farm? Well, there's a total of, I want to say, a hundred plus acres among the siblings um between you and no, of I mean, his, his, siblings, his siblings okay. his siblings um after his siblings you know got grown moved away blah 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 they you know came back and they sold their their um acreage can i just say how awesome i think it is that Frank's father owned, you said, 100, and, 100 yes. acres, right? 100 acres 100 of land acres. in Huntsville, Alabama in the 1940s, 50s, whatever it may have been. That's something that's kind of unprecedented. It is. Um, I mean, he was probably one of the few African-Americans that, you know, owned property. And this is Willie. Willie. His, Willie dad, his dad was Willie. Willie, Willie David. David. And uh matter of fact, um the subdivision that we worked so hard and uh, we passed through that subdivision day in and day out, um coming to our present location. So it's a lot of history there just coming to and from our <laughs> residence. I think it's amazing. It's, it's amazing that you it guys still amazing. live in, in land that your family have owned for generations. Right. Now, Daddy still has, of course, his his um, his uh, children are, you know, still, you know, intact with, with his, you know, heirs. Uh, Uncle John still has his. But the others... They all moved away, Michigan, um, mostly Michigan, Ohio. So I'm assuming that, you know, they, well, of course, they were never going to reside back in Huntsville. Mm -hmm. So they really didn't have need for property here. And none of his, none of his siblings that, uh, other than Uncle John, 
had children. So there was nothing, you know, left, nothing that they needed to leave behind, per se. So, um, so they sold theirs. And, I mean, we were small kids when they sold it. So, of course, if we had been older, grown, married, whatever, we may would have, you know, been able to keep or, you know, purchase that property or whatever from them and keep it in the family. In the family. But, mm-hmm. but, um, but that's, you know, but. So there's something that I didn't know until recently. And it was really interesting when I heard it because I did not know this years um, of hearing about my grandfather, Frank, and your father, Frank. But tell me a little bit about, you said he was a pastor, that you were the daughter of of a minister in a church. And that was something that I don't think, um, I don't think many of us knew, well, many of us grandkids uh, knew. Would you share, share a little bit about that? Yes, he was the pastor, the pastor of the church. Um, the church was located about, three quarters of a mile from the house. Um, As we were smaller kids, um, of course, we rode to church, and he had an old station wagon. And um, I remember so well every Sunday morning, because this was my daddy's work car. So every Sunday morning, I had to go out, and I had to put a clean, nice, clean sheet on the seats, you know, where— our clothes wouldn't get dirty, and so we went to church, and um, all of us went to church every Sunday. If we weren't just deadly sick, we were in church. Matter of fact, we all joined church under my dad, uh, from the mourner's bench to whatever revival or whatever, but um our incentive, well, we were going to church regardless of what, whether we wanted to or not, but we did have an incentive after church. We always went to the Lane's, Mother Lane's house, and she cooked a full course meal every Sunday and fed my daddy and my mom and all of his children every Sunday. We had fried chicken candied yams, turnip greens, cornbread. I mean, we look forward to this every Sunday. And I always wondered as I was a small child, um, how does this lady, how can she afford to feed my dad and all of his kids every Sunday? Of course, you know, back then too, you know, they grew just about, everything that you ate. So I do know for a fact that my dad, you know, would take them like greens and, you know, sweet potatoes and that kind of stuff because he would always say, you know, hey, you kids go out there and uh, pick, uh, you know, pick some greens and we'd have to pick these big bushel bags, uh, bushels, greens and that kind of stuff. And we would always say under our breath, of course, um, well, hey, you know, if 
if if they want these greens or whatever, why can't they come and pick their own, you know? <laughs> but, uh, of course, we never let Daddy hear her say that. But, but yeah, those were the good days of, you know, church. We look forward to um, going. And to this day, you know, I go to church every Sunday, just about every Sunday that I'm in town. The only Sundays I miss was, you know, if I'm out of town or whatever. But being brought up in the church uh, has, you know, kept me in the church. And um, I enjoy church. And um, How long was he a pastor? Was he a pastor? Was he doing it to the end of his life or did he stop for a time? Or? Now, as far as I can remember, he was a pastor for years and years until, you know, he became disabled. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. till his health failed. So Frank was a hardworking man then. Frank was, was working at the masonry. He had a farm where he was growing his own food and feeding his own family. He was a pastor of a church. Oh, yes. Had he, a lot going on, didn't Like he? I say, he was, yeah, he was a great provider. You know, it was, I know it was hard and a struggle back then, but, you know, but he, he made it. And we, you know, um, just about all of, like I say, all of my siblings were brought up in the church and, most of them are still there, you know. I think it's amazing that, um, for one, y'all ate, y'all made what y'all ate. <laughs> we you know did. what I mean? That, that, that's an amazing thing. We did. Um, you know, the younger siblings, my younger siblings, of course, I would say... The last maybe two to three, you know, they 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 had it pretty good when they you know they didn't yeah they didn't (laughs) they didn't have to work, you know they they just you know daddy can I just you know I mean we we didn't even go a lot of places because you know well back then it wasn't a lot of places to go but Mm. you know I mean every once in a while and daddy was a pretty strict you know daddy so. Uh, you know, he we he just was a weren't right. Mm-hmm. We weren't, you know, we weren't just, you know, gonna run the streets or whatever. But occasionally, and we, and we were, you know, kind of afraid to even ask to go anywhere, you uh-huh. know. And it was funny because we um, we would um, kind of work our way up to asking, you know. I mean, it was kind of like a process to ask, you know. It was like okay. Uh, we I guess we didn't want to really get rejected either. So it was like, okay, and we would do good things, you know, and all. And, of course, you know, I was kind of one of, I guess you could say, daddy's favorite because, you know, I worked hard and I had a brother, which was your daddy. <laughs> and uh, he was uh, he was a character. And um, he um, he did some things that, you know, my daddy just, you know, I mean, drove him crazy. Yeah, and so one of the main things is we're going to come back to that, ain't Ruthie? Because I want you to list <laughs> off your brothers and sisters and tell me a little bit, okay. a little bit about them. But I want to know about um, what was your mother Mildred's role in the family? What are some of the things that she did to take care of y'all? Well, as far as I know, you know, Mama just she stayed. She was a stay home mom, and um, she just. Prepared meals daily. Of course, we ate three times a day. Um, she prepared meals and, you know, kept my daddy's, you know, clothing, whatever. 
you know, ready for him to, you know, go to work each day. And um, just a pretty much, I mean, she worked in the garden some. And that but, was going to be what I asked yeah, next. She, did, did she, she worked in the garden, yeah. Um, but, you know, as far as I can recall, she never worked any place. Okay. But she didn't go out there and pick no cotton with y'all. She just worked in the, uh, the, on the no, garden. No, I don't, I don't remember Mama picking cotton with us. Uh, you know, she stayed home, and we would always go home at lunch and eat, and Daddy would always say, y'all go in and get your lunch and eat and, you know, back to the field. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Do you know how they met? I really don't. You know, I I don't. I don't. I'm you never not asked really that. Sure. Um, no. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now, what's one of your favorite? Actually, before we get to that, I want to ask you: How many brothers and sisters do you have? And would you mind naming them from oldest to youngest, including yourself? My oldest brother is James. How many, how many do you have? Oh, presently we, well, it was. Just in total. In total, how many do you have in, in total? And then you can tell me um, who was the oldest. Down okay, to it's seven now. It was nine prior to 2012. Um, have two deceased sisters, um, Eloise and, um, Eloise and. Oh, wow. Eloise. Um, kind of drew a blank here. But anyway, I would have had a sister older. And there was a sister, I want to say, about in between maybe Cynthia and Mike. But, you know, we're so close in, in age, you know. Um, <laughs> some of us are like. 12, 13 months apart, you mm-hmm. know, and mm-hmm. it was a long time before I realized that um, Mike was older than Cynthia. I always thought Cynthia was the oldest. I mean, it was so many, you know, I mean, they were like uh, man, coming like fast. So, you know, I lost track of who was what. But So let's see, we have. We Uncle have Eddie. James Eddie. James Eddie's James oldest. Eddie's the oldest. Then we had your dad, which was Willie, and then it was uh, a sister, then me, then David, then the other sister may have been right behind. Right about there. But I don't think maybe that, because David and I are exactly 13 months apart. Okay. So I'm thinking that the other sister was between... Mike and Cynthia, maybe. Okay. Uh, after David is Mike, then Cynthia, then Tometa, then Marie, and then Veronica. Okay. So seven of you without the two sisters that didn't make it, right? Or that were born and didn't live long after, after giving birth. Nine. Nine and then the two. It would have been eleven. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. It was eleven because um, nine, you know, were living prior to the two that are deceased. Okay. What's one of your um, 
tell me a little bit about their uh, their personalities. Tell me a little bit about uh, James Eddie, James Eddie's personality, well, growing that, up especially. Yeah, growing up, well, I knew a little bit more about him than probably the rest of them, but he went into the military pretty early. Mm-hmm. So he was, I think he served like 22 years in the military. And you said he was drafted he in was the Vietnam drafted, War, right? Right, he was drafted. So he was drafted during the time that, you know, my daddy was farming and all, and so there went, you know, one of his, you know, uh, well, should I say one of his main, you know. So, and then your dad. Um, now he was a rebellious oh, one of the bunch, right? he was very rebellious. <laughs> and so he knew things weren't going to be so well anyway, you know, because he, for whatever reason, he just. Um, he was just, I, I mean, you know, back then, I guess rebellious was, you know, one of the big things back then. I mean, he wasn't a, a real bad child per se, but he just, he tried my dad on every occasion, you know, but. Hard-headed, right? Just, yeah, Consider- just hard-headed. And uh, I mean, for really for no reason, but whatever. But anyway, shortly after Eddie went into the military. He decided he was going to volunteer and he was going to go because he was going to get away from my dad and the farm and all this. So that left myself, David, Cynthia, and Uncle Mike. I mean, Mike. And um, maybe Tometa, you know. But so, you know, that... At that point, you know, the help was kind of slim. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And especially, you know, the two older guys being gone, even though your bro- your daddy wasn't very much help. But, but anyway, that went on for a while. But, you know, then my daddy realized, I guess, that, hey, you know, um, I really don't. Because my daddy didn't believe in, you know, like, Cotton pickers, that kind of stuff. It Hiring was, people to work right, on the farm. Right, it it was just strictly his his kids, you know, and and um, around this time of the year, well, October, you know, it's when cotton came in. So, and you know, school started like right after Labor Day, so you know, we had to pick cotton, and um, Daddy had, I mean. It, Back then, it seemed like he had a, a world of cotton, you know. And, you know, of course, you know, we had to pick cotton, and then we had to go back and make sure we had every sprig. And, you know, you don't leave cotton in the field. That's you some know. hard work. That's some hard work. <laughs> so my dad, your daddy and myself, and, uh, you know, we picked and all, and, and we, I've told this story before. You know, your dad was like, he was just a jokester and all, and so... He's in the cotton field, and we work. Everybody else is working, doing, you know, and we had expectations at the end of the day, you know, how much should have been picked and da-da-da-da-da. And so your daddy was like, you know, just standing up in the field, you know, telling all these jokes and all. And so, you know, daddy would say, y'all be home by before dark, you know, get in and before dark and all. So... We would get home some days. It would be dark and all, and Daddy would say, you know, where y'all been, you know? And it was like, oh, I was trying to finish out these rows and all. And 
So that went on for some time. And so finally, Daddy caught on. You know, we were out there trying to help Willie get, (laughs) you know. I mean, he had picked enough cotton for a little child, you know, simply because Uh he was over there telling jokes. And he would literally stand around telling jokes and whatever, literally. And I just kept picking cotton. I mean, I'm like, okay, you know, I'm not getting in trouble for him, you know. (laughs) So he just, you know, he followed me around, following everybody around, telling these jokes and, you know, not doing what he's supposed to be doing. And so, you know, we get home. So daddy said, daddy finally caught on to what was going on. He was like, oh, hey, why y'all so late getting home? And I don't know. Was like, oh, we was just trying to finish out. So he finally fi- figured out that we were helping your daddy, you know, try to keep him out of it. But, you know, finally he just started getting whippings day in, day out because daddy finally figured out, hey, he just not doing what he's supposed to do. He just out there joking and, you know, and all them. And um, the other good story I, I remember too, um, we picked cotton and, um, you know, they went to the gin, maybe like on the gin was where they sorted out the cotton from the seeds. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever been to a cotton gin. And that was one place I always wanted to go and all. And um, Daddy would always, and I don't know why he did this, but he would always promise me that he would let me go. But apparently that wasn't a place for a girl or whatever because I never got to go. And, um, uh, Plus, they would go to the gym, and they would always get, when they come back, they would always have bologna and crackers and south meat and all. And I just thought that was a great place to go and, you know, and have fun and all. But, you know, they would give me some of that when they came back. But I always wanted to go, you know, and I felt like I worked really hard, and I was promised that I would. I would get the go, and I, I'm not real sure. So who sure. did he take? He took James Eddie and He would and take Willie? the boys, yeah, but I never got a chance to go, and I, I would be kind of upset because I'm like, you know, he promised me that I I would get to go, and I look forward to it every, I don't know if they went, I want to say they went maybe every Friday. Mm. You know, they'd have these big, long trailers of cotton, and, you know, they would go, and it would get weighed in. They would get paid for the 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 cotton that they brought there, and that was actually my next question: is who did they sell it to? And um, they they had these big gins that they went to, and you so know, it was sold at the gin. They yeah, would it was the sold at, from the cotton. Pick the seeds, and, and you know, I guess time. they would take. If I'm not mistaken, they would take the seeds out. The seeds weighed, you know, weighed quite a bit in the cotton. So I guess they would filter out the seeds and then um, weigh the cotton itself. Mm. So, you know, you had to have quite a bit because I guess it took away a lot of the poundage mm-hmm. from, you know, the seeds. To now, away. what was David like as a as a kid growing up? My brother, Dave. Uncle Dave, yeah. You know, <laughs> well, Uncle Dave seems like, he a, was, he seems he was, like the fun type, too, but well, he was. He, he was, don't seem like the type that'd be getting into trouble, though. No, he, we really, your daddy. And Mike, but Mike wasn't a real trouble, but, you know, he was maybe next in line. So he was a bad influence on yeah. Mike? <laughs> he was kind of, you know, he and Willie, you know, they kind of stayed into it all. But David was pretty quiet and all. He was kind of like, a, he wasn't a real, I won't say he was scary, but 
he was um he was kind of double jointed and uh, I remember a lot of times uh his his legs would just kind of jump out of joint, you know, and mm-hmm. I would be like crying. I would run to mom and say, Mama, and uh, David's legs, you know, she was like, Oh, he's okay. You know, they pop back in place and all. And, uh, so, wait a minute, his his joints were. Joints were kind of what they call back then, double jointed. Yeah, really? they would just kind of pop out, you know. But I've I guess he that. grew out of that, mm-hmm. you know. He, um, you know, I suppose I know he, you know, but. Hey, I tell you this, that's a good excuse to get out of picking cotton. <laughs> <laughs> well, we didn't have very many excuses, I'm telling you. We didn't have very many excuses, J- joints jumping out, whatever. I'm sorry, you better pop them back in, you know. And Cynthia, she was, um, she was kind of, um, uh, she was allergic to a lot of things, and I can remember so well her nostril holes were about the size of a pinhole. Oh, I mean, wow. Yeah, she could. She was allergic to, and then I guess she kind of grew out of it and all, but, you know, we, Daddy grew everything that we ate, so, you know, what are you going to do? Tomatoes, potatoes, things with acid in it and all, they would kind of break her out mm. and all, and... um. But I guess as she grew older, you know, she just kind of grew. I mean, it wasn't to the point where, you know, she was just deathly sick. But, you know, she would, like, break out and she couldn't eat certain things, you know. But as far as I know, you know, that allergy or whatever passed on over because, you know, to this day, you know, I I don't know, you know. So after Scent, um, Tom... Dell and Puny, excuse me, Veronica. We yeah, know her as Aunt Puny. We know Aunt Puny. Aunt Puny, Veronica. They really didn't have to do much work out in the field. Oh, no, right? no. Okay. Now, Tom, I can't really recall, but she might have. She might have right been on the edge, right, right on, on the edge. Ending. But I know for a fact, you know, I mean, even when we, you know, got older and, you know, maybe high school and stuff. And, you know, we're asking Daddy, oh, can we go to a ball game, da-da-da-da-da, you know. And, you know, we had to ask and, you know, build our, like I say, build our nerves up to the point where, you know, we weren't afraid to ask and, you know. But when it got down to Dale and Veronica and all, you know, hey, Daddy was, by that time, he was really too old to deal with, you know. and Discipline So they, you know, they got to go and do things that, I mean, we didn't even dream of, you know. <laughs> so, you know, and they weren't in. And, you know, even to this day, you know, you ask him, especially Veronica, you're like, you know, hey, you know, do such and such. And she, you know, first thing she say is, you know, I don't know how to do that. You know, no, she's never had to do anything, you know. So you can see a big difference between her and me. Mm-hmm. Now, Veronica and I are 14 years apart, you know, but, you know, be mindful. There's several siblings in between her and me. Mm-hmm. But we I was 14 when Mama had her. And, you know, I thought that was the most ridiculous thing for her to have another child, you know, and here I am, 14, you know, and. So, um, you know, finally I got married and I moved away and Dave moved with me. He packed his bag when I packed mine to move with my husband. And, but um, now Let me ask you this. You said uh, you told me something earlier that I thought was really interesting. You said that when 
women during that day, right? I'm speaking of uh, Big Mama Mildred. When she had kids, they didn't go to the hospital. No. They actually went to a midwife to have their children, right? If I'm not mistaken, Eddie was born in the hospital. Okay. He was the only... The si- oldest. Oldest and only sibling that was born in the hospital. And to this day, he would tell you, I'm the only one that was born in the hospital. <laughs> he he always, no matter... I mean, if he's talking to anybody, he'll... Two things he's going to tell you. Well, one for sure is I'm the oldest. I mean, he never fails to tell you I'm the oldest. I mean, just talking to somebody on the street, whatever, you know, his first thing. I mean, he introduced himself and he says, I'm the oldest, you know, and I'm like, okay. And, of course, like I say, he was the only one that was born in the hospital. What do you think that is? Well, shh. You know, back then, I mean, midwives were very, I mean, that was the the way to go. The way to go, mm-hmm. midwives. And, and I would assume that it'd be a lot less um, oh, well, costly oh, yeah, to very go to much. a midwife. You know, I'm not sure hospital. what it costs to, you know, deliver a baby, but, you know, I'm sure back then it was, you know, money was tight, very tight. And, um, but um, all of us were. I want to say all of us were born at my big mama's house. Well, my big mama, I was telling you about the village we grew up in, but after she moved out of the village, she bought a house over in North Huntsville um, off of Blue Spring Road, um, a three-bedroom house. So she owned the house. She she was she bought a house. She, she bought a house. Wow. And um, and the reason I see I see that like it's a big deal is because typically you don't really hear a lot about a lot of black families owning homes. You right. know what I mean? The one thing right. that I, I hear that's common in our family, and with a lot of the families in Huntsville, is a lot of black families own homes right. at that time. Right. You know, she, I think that that's amazing. She bought that house and. Um, I remember so well, it was a three-bedroom, living room that had a large picture, back then, picture window, what they call picture windows. It's like a big window that don't open or close. It's just a, about the size of that wall there. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a big picture window that uh, faced the south. And um, But I remember so well. Uh, several of, you know, my younger siblings when they were born. And like I say, Mama was very quiet. She didn't tell, she didn't talk very much at all. She didn't inform me that, hey, you know, I'm pregnant and I'm going, you know. Uh, They just up and left, you know. And so me being the oldest, I'm like, okay, they're gone. And um, I have all these kids. Too. So you were the one that looked after them when they were gone. I was right? the one. I had to comb hair. I had to make sure they were, they were bathed. My daddy's, you know, work clothes and his food was, you know, ready and that kind of stuff. So, so you know, people ask me to this day, you know, you only had one child, and and I said yes. You know, I said um, I feel 
I mean, maybe I should have had another one, but I feel like I've raised a family already, you know, before I, you know, got married and had my my child and all. And so it's a lot of, you know, history there is to, you know. You well, you know, know, the one thing that I can say is, is within the Jordan family, I would consider you to be the matriarch. Yeah. I would consider yeah. you to be the one that people go to when they need something done or if there's some it family is. event that's going to come take that's going to take place. We need to go talk to Ruthie to Most get it organized and get it set up. Most definitely. And, you know, in the last, you know, several years, it's normally myself and Cynthia. We're the two that usually. And, you know, of course, Eddie, you know, he's, you know, he has more advice than anything, you know, mm. <laughs> <laughs> and he'll say things like, yeah, you know, uh, I mean, he, you know, he's not the type that he doesn't really like a lot of, I don't know. I mean, he, I mean, he'll go along with, you know, what we're doing, but. He doesn't like to get too involved in it. Right. And he'll right. say things like, you know, well, maybe we shouldn't just. You know, maybe we shouldn't. And like his birthday, as you know, I was telling you, he just had a birthday and he told me months ago. And, you know, we we have like surprised and not surprised birthday, different, you know, things and all for different family members, you know, sister and brother. And so he tells me about several months ago and he said, I'm going to tell you right now, don't try to surprise me and don't have anything, you know, and. So I, you know, I heard what he said and all that. I was telling Cynthia just, you know, recently, and I said, "Well, I said he told me, you know." She said, "Oh, he'll get over it, you know." So, you know, and you know, he doesn't. I don't think he really likes a lot of. Well, his 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 main slogan too is, he doesn't like foolishness. Oh, I'm not about that foolishness, you know. And so, it's kind of like, you know. It's hard for him to see he it's hard for him to accept some of the things that the younger generation does and don't do, you know, as far as discipline and, you know, that kind of stuff. So he really, you know, that really so he he rather, you know, not you know, he'll participate but you know, he'll come and he'll stay like a short period of time. Mm-hmm. Then he's gone, you know, mm-hmm. he just disappears, you know. And uh, But, you know, and like I say, you know, of course, our generation and the generation now is just, I mean, very it's different. just very different. And it, it's kind of hard for him to accept, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, even though, I mean, it's kind of hard for me too, but, you know, I've learned in, you know, my years that, hey, we can't, we can't really fix that we just have to you know but and it's really hard for him let me ask you something else St. Ruth I got a couple more questions before we round up we've been going for about an hour now and I want to thank you for being patient uh, but this is some good, some good stuff. I'm telling you, we're going to look back on this. And we're going to be so grateful that you took the time to do this for us. <laughs> but I want to know, what was school like for you as a child? Um, what grade school did you go to, middle school and high school? 
I went to council training. That was your elementary school, right? Well, I went there from first. There wasn't kindergarten back then. From first grade to middle school. Mm -hmm. And then from middle school back there in the ninth and tenth grade. Okay, so high school wasn't until the 11th and 12th grade. Right. Back okay. then, high school was a little different than okay. it is now. So middle school was first grade through no, s- fifth grade, right? Elementary school was uh, first grade. I'm sorry, elementary school was first first grade through the fifth grade, right? Through the sixth grade. Sixth grade, okay. And I then middle say, school was the seventh grade. Now, maybe middle school was six, seven, and eight. Yeah, because typically the way, the way I grew up, Elementary was one through fifth grade. Right. Uh, middle school was sixth through eighth grade. Right. And then high school was nine through twelfth grade. Right. right. But you're saying that high school for you guys at the time was eleventh and twelfth grade. Well, I want to say that that's kind of how it was back okay. then, because you know they redone everything. So I went back to council in the ninth and tenth grade. And so let me see if I got this right. So, what was the elementary school again? The grade school. Council training. Council training. So that was one through um, five. Five. And then you said for. I want to say I went there one through six. And then I just went to middle school, like seven and eighth, which was Davis Hills. Okay. And then I went back to council in the ninth and tenth, and they closed. Mm. And so. I went to Buckhorn High School in the 11th and 12th, which I graduated from Buckhorn High School. Do you know if that high school is still around today, or is it has, has it closed down as well, With Buckhorn? Buck, oh, no, it's still, it's a blue ribbon school. I mean, very, um, I do, I will say that uh, I made history at Buckhorn High School. I was the first African-American cheerleader there. Were you? No kidding. I was. (laughs) Uh, There's a little story behind that. Um, My cousin Punkin and my cousin Alva, which is Ain't Ophelia's daughter, we, the three of us went to Buckhorn after they closed council training, right? They only went one year because they were 12th graders then, but I went two years so they were driven out close to us on Winchester. We walked from our house out to Winchester to catch the bus, which was about a half a mile. We walked every day to and from to catch the bus. There was no bus coming back in mm-hmm. there or whatever. We walked out there. And <laughs> we actually walked out of the city limits which was probably about maybe about 1,500 feet, maybe. We walked out of the city into the county to catch the bus at the bus stop. Well, we did that, which my cousin, Alva, and Punkin graduated from Buckhorn, okay? I was 11th grader, and um, so I did that, and... um, one particular day, and it, it probably was close to the end of the school year, so the bus driver tells me not to get back on that bus again because I guess they had figured out that 
that we lived in the city and not the county. So at this particular time, I had just gotten cheerleader at Buckhorn. So, you know, back then, you know, dad, you know, your parents were pretty strict about you doing what you're supposed to do, what was right, not breaking the laws, da-da-da-da-da. So I go home that particular day, and I cried, and I cried because at that particular time, I had gotten kicked out of Buckhorn, you know, because that wasn't this. I was really supposed to have gone to Lee High School. And I did not want to go to Lee, you know. Why? Because at that time, Lee, well, I was a, you know, young teenager. And I felt like Lee was like the bad school at that time. <laughs> Johnson wasn't built, but Lee was. And um, it just seemed like to me it was a lot of trouble at Lee. That's That was my opinion, whatever. Plus, I wanted to go to Buckhorn because my cousins went there, you know. And uh, so I went home that particular day, and my dad, I told Daddy, you know, hey, you know, they told me not to get back on the bus. And and, and re- in reality, you know, hey, you're not to come back to this school, really, to be honest with you. So I told Daddy and all, and Daddy was like, and I, I really, you know, my, my first and I was like, Daddy going to say, okay, you go to Lee where you're supposed to go. Well, I don't know how and why, you know, he didn't say that. He paid $5, which back then $5 was a lot of money. Mm -hmm. He paid $5 for me to, I guess, get, I guess back then it was, Maybe like the transfer or whatever they called it back then. So I was able to continue at Buckhorn. Because, like I say, I was more upset because I had just gotten black cheerleader. Well, my friends, it was about 10 of us uh, that kind of ran together and all. So, you know, close to the end of the year, you know, they have cheerleader tryout, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So they was like, hey, Ruthie, hey, we're going to all go out for cheerleading, right? And uh, I said, oh, okay. Knowing I really couldn't afford to go out for cheerleading, I mean, that was like, that was going to cost money, you know, which my daddy didn't have no money for me to do that. But anyway, I said, okay, we're going to go out and all. And so um, it came time for cheerleader tryouts and all. Man, my friends scattered. They did not. Left it by yourself. Left me by myself. (laughs) They said, oh, Ruthie, we're not going to do this. But you are. That's what they said. You're going to say. Are these black friends or are these white friends? Oh, yeah, they were black friends. They were black friends? They were black friends. (laughs) And back then, you know, I mean, cheerleading and... um, Sports, I mean, they we were serious. It wasn't like nothing like it is now. We were very serious. So they wouldn't let me back out. So it came time for tryouts. Man, the whole student body was in one gym. I mean, it was in gym, in the gym, and it was crammed packed with. So people could watch the tryouts. Oh, yeah. And I was one out of, I want to say, probably was about 12 of us. And I was the only one. Wow. So, I so mean, 12, I had 12 African-Americans tried out. 
No, no, no. Twelve total. Twelve people 12 total, people. black and white. White. It was eleven whites and one. And, and I was you, the only black. Gotcha. Wow. So, I mean, at that time, I had to do cartwheels, flips, you name it. I mean, I was one more nervous black kid. I was so scared. Well, I made it. You had to do cartwheels and <laughs> Everything flips in and front all of all of these people. Now, and you did know, you know that before beforehand? Or because I'm, I'm thinking, how did you practice this? Well, <laughs> well, you know, being like being on the farm, you know, I probably could turn flips and whatever, you know. But I made it. And uh, Aunt May, the, the one I was telling you that kind of, she kind of, as I got to be like in high school and all, she worked for different people, you know, cleaning homes and all. So she kind of like took me, you know, under her wings kind of. And, you know, I did get a few things that the rest of them didn't get, you know. And, you know, she probably provided me with, you know, a few dollars to go to, you know, ball games, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then my two cousins, you know, I kind of, you know, me being uh, older, you know, all I kind of got a few hand-me-downs from my cousins, you know, clothes-wise and stuff like that. So, but, but yeah, I um, made history. That is awesome, Aintin. You said Buckhorn is still around, but it's just not named Buckhorn anymore. It is Buckhorn it's still. Buckhorn it's still Buckhorn. It's still Buckhorn. They've um, added additions on and all. And we mm. have, we've had several reunions, Buckhorn reunions since then. Do but, you go? Um, oh, yes. I'm, you know, I'm on the committee. I was I'm, just going to say, you seem like the type that I would am, be on the committee. I am on, <laughs> I, I am on so many committees till, you know, I have to remember Hey, you're on this. I mean, I am. I'm on that that Chase committee. Uh, I am on that committee. I am on the Buckhorn committee. I am on the family reunion. I mean, I am committed out. I hear you. But uh, but yeah, it's um, it's a lot that of history. That is pretty awesome. I, I, I Matter of fact, I think I remember seeing you had some pictures in your house at one time. I had my yearbook because I do. Rem- I think I remember seeing. I was seeing a photo from. I was very from very skinny. I had a big afro. I mean, huge. You know, afros were big back, back then. Back in the day, oh yeah. And I was about this big. I was <laughs> tiny, tiny, <laughs> and I was black, of course. Not just dark, but black. <laughs> and uh, but you know, the the girls were really nice, and and we had the September the twenty sixth. I want to say we had a um, multi multi class reunion, class of 71, 2, 3, 4, 5, I think. Hmm. We had five classes. We had um, a multi-class reunion, and uh, it was so much fun. We got together with the different classes, and we talked about, uh, it was a one-day affair, and we talked about different things, and I had one one of the cheerleaders came up to me and um she said you are Ruthie Jordan and i said yes and of course i said um you are i mean had no clue she was one of the cheerleaders but i mean she had changed so well most of them changed so much to 
you don't recognize them. Mm-hmm. You have to take the yearbook along with you, you know, to say, I mean, they're like nothing like, you know. So you're saying but that what uh, she life, said to me, life caught up to them, meaning they oh, yeah. gained some weight. What and... she said to me is, you look the exact same as you did when you <laughs> were in high school. I mean, she recognized me, and I mean, out of just, hey, she just walked All up to me people. like that. And I mean, several people have done that, and not just me. It's you know, several of my classmates. You know, I, I guess as African Americans, we hold our own pretty good, and we, mm. you know, we pretty much. When they say black don't crack, that's basically what you get to. It don't crack. Right. But um, you know, I mean, now that's cool. How did the girls so, treat you on the on the team? I mean, were they were they nice to oh, you? Oh, they or? were super nice. And you, you know, they were, they were I was cool pretty athletic, time. you know, and all. And and then you know, the guys, you know, they played football. You know, we had a lot of black guys that played football and basketball. So I traveled with, you know, of course we traveled on the bus and we had, you know, supervisors and all. But I guess they seem to watch me a little bit more than they probably did the white girls because, you know, they figure the black guys, you know, hey, they, yeah. But um, it was it was fun. We we well, traveled it, quite a bit. It and, sounds like the high school, um, even though you were the first black cheerleader for the school, there seemed to have been a robust black population of students at the school. Oh, yeah. Well, shortly after, I'm not sure exactly if it was the next year or I don't know how many years, but, you know, they, they, black cheerleaders, you know, came Became in. more regular yeah. after you. But right. there was no black cheerleaders prior oh, wow. to my, to my. Aunt Ruthie is the Barack Obama <laughs> cheerleading at Buckhorn High School. Buckhorn High School. I mean. So you went to, um, I, I want to get to um, your college years too, because you did go to college. I went to college. Oh. I graduated from Alabama A&M University. I actually graduated in three years. And what was your major when you were there? All right, my major was um, education, special education. Okay. And um, I went, I actually started college on a program called Upward Bound. And that was going to be another question I had for you is how did well, you pay we for didn't, school? I didn't, I had a, st- <laughs> I actually, you know, the Upward Bound was like a free, uh, it was like a, Kind of like a scholarship thing or? Well, it, it you started, I started Upper Bound probably when I was in maybe like 10th grade or something. You went every summer okay. and you went on Saturdays. You got paid, you know, back then it was, that was a big thing. Hey, you got paid. It probably wasn't but a few dollars, but a few dollars back then was a whole lot, you know. So Upward Bound was something that Alabama A&M were, do, were doing right. for the it kids. It was a program. Right? Yeah. Through the school for And the it kids. was a learning. I mean, you took classes. It wasn't just going, whatever. And then when you got to be a senior, you took more like on the college level classes, you know, pre-college classes. Yeah. So that's kind of how I got into going because, of course, my parents weren't, they couldn't afford to send me to school. And then, of course, I had a student loan, you know, that I had, you know, it wasn't, I really didn't go on a scholarship. I just, you know, I like I said, I got started through Upward Bound. And um, so... So Upward Bound was a way that you got into the school. Right. But you still had to pay the tuition. Right. And you took student loans out in order to right. cover the tuition. And gotcha. so okay. I had student loan up until I, you know, got my first job. Yeah. And, you know, and I was paying on a student loan for several years, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but, you know, that was how I, I did graduate with a BS degree. And um, like I say... Um, and you started working for the city shortly thereafter. Or did it take a little city time schools. to... City schools. Yeah, that was my first job. So your first job is the same job that you retired from. Absolutely. That is awesome. 40 years. You don't hear about service. that all that much. That is great. I did 40 years um, service. So. How did you get into sports? Because you were a big uh, softball player. and <laughs> I was, years. but, you know, when I was in high school, there was no girls sports. It really wasn't. It wasn't any girl. I mean, you could play girls sports through a YMCA, but as far as organized girls sports, no, there was nothing. So how I got into playing softball and all, um, I had these friends that, um, the Petty family, um, that we went back. I spent the night with them on several occasions, and I don't think they ever came to my house because there wasn't nowhere to get those. It was too many of us. Well, it was a large family of them also, but they were a little more, you know. But um, they formed a, like, kind of like a family community team. And I got on the team with them. And I knew nothing about softball because, you know, all we threw was rocks, probably, you know, the boys and I, you know. But I grew into that sport, and I loved it. And we, to this day, my daddy probably don't know some of the things that went on with me as far as, I mean, not bad things, but, excuse me, um, we played in a league up in Tennessee, which was about 30, 45 minutes away from home. But they would pick me up for the games and things. And they had this brother that um, would drive us to the game and all. And um, we would, you know, leave home sometime late, later than we should. And so he would drive like 100 miles an hour, I would say. <laughs> Maybe not quite, but in my eyesight back then, but, you know, I didn't say nothing. If my daddy knew to this day, I probably never would have played any more softball or whatever because, first of all, it was very dangerous. But I was just gung-ho on getting there and all, and I just took it, you know. And um, But anyway, I grew with that family, and we played, and we played here in Huntsville some. And all. like I say, there was no organized high school uh, sports for, for girls at all. So that's how I got into softball. So... Because uh, it's in your blood. I mean, you still play today. I still play today. And you've been playing for years. But I also joined teams here in Huntsville. And um, here's the thing. I think if, um, if female sports, if women's sports were something that was allowed during your day, like it, like it is today, as big as it is today, I think you probably would have been a professional women's um, softball player. Probably you so. you seem to be that good. But you were good. I was, I, well, I, I grew into being good. I knew nothing about the sport or whatever. But, you know, I stayed with it. I was very dedicated. I was very, I mean, even till, I mean, I got to the point where it was so, I was so into that sport. And I got married. 
And matter of fact, um, one of the girls that played that were on the original team, she introduced me to James. Okay. That's how we got introduced. And we went, he started going with us on these tournaments and all, and um, I don't know if daddy knew that either, you know, but <laughs> but anyway, that's how we met uh-huh. and all. And, um, and not only that we played in that league, and then, like I say, the league, you know, women's softball started growing and getting bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. So I got on a team here in Huntsville and, you know, and then we went on tournaments and then people would call and ask me to go play with them, you know. And so it just kind of, and so James would go. He would go to every tournament with me and all. And, oh, he was, he, even though he wasn't on the team, but he felt like he was, I guess, part, part of, of the, the team. And he was so excited about going. And then I had Kenny, and I took him everywhere I went. And it was so funny because the the the, peop, the girls and all, they teased me to this day. And they was like, Miss Ruthie, I remember when you had Kenny and you would take him on his game, on the game, all the games and all. And, you know, you'd have – I did. I had a little suitcase packed. And, <laughs> and now we were going outside to softball tournament games and all and – I would have him three or four outfits packed, and every time he got a little dirt on him, I mean, I changed his clothes. I mean, it was like I dared that child get dirty. Uh, oh, and uh, it was so funny because we laugh at that now. And I remember he got to be a little older, and uh, so you know, as years passed on, and because um, Kenny was pretty know. talented as a as a football and basketball player yeah, himself, though. Yeah, baseball, I think, he, was, was yeah, his thing too. Baseball, and I, I guess from going watch watching me, you know, he got into, you know, he, you know, I guess learned a lot. You know, softball is a little different from baseball, but still, you know, the same concept. So um, he got older and all, and then I remember me getting um, to the point where you know it's playing with with. All black teams, it you know, as years went on, you know, it was, you know, it it became, you know, I mean, you know how black people can get, you know, so I'm like, okay, it's I had this white team that that I knew really well, and so he asked me to play, and so at by this time I'm like, yeah, you know, it's probably time for a change, so I went with this white team, so I was telling Kenny about it. And he was like, oh, yeah, Mama, go play with them because, man, they got some cool uniforms. I mean, we had, this team had, and it was, now, be mindful, this was an all-white team, and they were from Arab, Alabama. That's a place black people do not go. Mm. But in my family was like, you're playing with a team from Arab. And so my Arab, family, Arab? A R A B A R A B. No kidding! Wow. You just you you just really didn't. So that was a, it. Was a really racist city. You're right, saying absolutely. Mm. So they now, we're talking like, about Hunts. We're talking about Alabama folks. Um, Alabama at that time, there was a, a lot of extreme racial bias going on from city to city and even within cities. Right. So A R A B and Coleman were two places that black people just weren't known to be, you know, accepted that well. So I would drive to and fro, 
practice tournaments. Now, be mindful, this guy that asked me to play, he had seen me playing, you know, prior, you know, years. And um, so by this time, it was time for a change. So what do you think this was? Was this like late 70s, early 80s? And I'm thinking because Kenny, if Kenny was old enough to to say, Mama, so I did join the team and um, all of the the, the teammates, oh, they accepted me. They just loved me. The parents, they were just, you know, so nice. But I I did learn one thing in life, uh, you know, early life. If you're nice to people then they'll be nice to you. Yes, ma'am. I never had not one incident where they weren't nice to me. That's I awesome. mean, they accepted me like I was, I went to their homes. I went on tournaments. It, it's funny because he was very, I mean, this guy was the coach and uh, he had two good sponsors and the sponsors were, actually they were beer stoves owners and this coach he drank you know and he was a big businessman but he loved to drink and that was one thing that James liked about him (laughs) he liked to go because everything was free and whatever so anyway we didn't have to do anything but go Uh, okay so but the only thing he had this big uh, mobile Winnebago that he he drove and anybody that that needed a ride or didn't want to drive their own cars and all, we could ride with him. It was really nice. The only thing we would leave on a Thursday, we didn't play the Saturday or maybe Friday night if, you know, something. But we would leave on Thursday. Hotel accommodations, all that stuff was paid for. We didn't wow, have to worry nice. about anything. Of course, you know, we had our spending Mm-hmm. food money but but we would go you know and um he was we and this is how i learned to really be more and more competitive because he was one of those guys that losing was not an option i mean i remember so well we we hardly ever lost we always won every tournament we went on we were just that good we were in um, some part of Tennessee, and we got second place. Man, he was, I mean, he was so, so. He said, nobody ever remembers anybody who finishes second. Mm. So he did not want the trophy. He did not want anything that we, we earned at tournament. So I had a friend. And we still, this girl still, she and I still meet up and we go out to eat. She's from A-Rap. And we we reminisce when we meet up and we eat and all. And, and she said, Richard, you remember when uh, his name was Tommy Jack? You remember the time and Tommy Jack? She said, and she would always, she, her parents went everywhere we went. And she would always be like, uh, he would start fussing about, you know, how we didn't produce and whatever. She was like, oh, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. She would be all him, and I said, it's okay. I said, he'll get over it, you know, whatever, you know. <laughs> but she would just be, oh, God. And we, to this day, we still talk about, and we were down in Florence one tournament, and 
we weren't paying we weren't playing up to par. And um he had this one girl which he kicked this girl off the team in front of her daddy. And she's what she did was she wasn't producing or whatever, and he says to her, Rhonda, you know, uh, you're not, you know, playing up to potentials or whatever. She's smarted off or something. He said, you get your stuff and you hit the road, young lady. <laughs> and her daddy was standing right there. I mean, we, oh, God. I mean, I can remember so many, oh, God. But then he never let her back on that team. No I mean, but I was on that team, and I mean, I he, but I got on the team, and all my friends that, a lot of my friends that played with me, you know, in the past and all. Your black friends. My black friends. Mm-hmm. They was like, Ruthie, ask him if we can play. Ask him if we can. And so, you know, my thing was I'm not taking trouble with me. I'm mm-hmm. leaving trouble behind me because, you know, so I was a little reluctant, you know, to ask, you know. And so I would go to the coach and I said, my friend Brenda want to know. I mean, these were they were good ball players, and I wouldn't ask him about anybody that I knew wasn't going was, was, wasn't going to be a fit for the team. Mm-hmm. And he he would always tell me. He said, "Ruthie, I'm going to trust you. You know, if I make the decision to let her come, you know, I'm going to trust that. You know." Uh, She's this gonna person is going to be a good fit and mm-hmm. not cause problems and all. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, I'll assure you that. So I got one girl on there. I mean, it was just one behind the other. It was just one behind the other, you know. Uh, so it ended up, oh, God, probably about five of us or six <laughs> of us. And so he tells me one day, he said, Ruthie, this team has become an Oreo. An Oreo cookie. <laughs> <laughs> but it was so funny. But we none of the girls uh, that I asked to go, none of them caused any problems whatsoever. So, you know, but finally, um, you know. Look, you were breaking we, barriers. Not only were you the first black cheerleader at Buck, yeah, Buckhorn, yeah. the first black lady on, on this team and bringing others with you. Go ahead, uh, Jackie Robinson. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, seriously. And they trusted me and they, they respected the fact that, you know, I was, you know, I mean, they loved me, you know. and But, you know, like I say, I learned early in life, you know, if you just be nice to people and mm-hmm. don't cause any problems, you know, you'll be okay. You know, I, black, I, I, white, I've heard or, a saying and I actually obliged by this saying. I live by this saying. Uh, and I actually heard it, believe it or not, from Dwayne The Rock Johnson um, talking about his celebrity and how he got to where he is and where he experienced uh, some of the things he experienced coming up. And he's always lived by this philosophy as well. He said, it's nice to be important, but it's more important to, to be, be nice. nice. True. Yeah. That's true. And um, that's how it sounds, you know, was, was your way of dealing with people as well. Yeah. You know, and it was. And like people, I say, um, yeah, I um to I mean, you know, he the coach finally died a few years ago and uh his daughter was one of the players on the team and uh, um you know, we I went to the funeral and, you know, we we still stay in touch and she, you know, she comes, she said, I tell you my daddy really loved you, you know, and so, you know, I mean, I don't have any regrets with, you know, I, 
you know, I, I wasn't a perfect person, but mm. I tried my best to be, you know, nice and all and you know, but that's awesome, Ruby. I got a, just a couple more questions. I'm going to close it up because there's something that's been on my mind because uh, Mildred and Frank, your parents, had a whole bunch of kids. What were holidays like? What was birthdays and Christmas like in the household? Well, I don't remember really birthdays. I don't. So you don't uh, think that you, you don't remember celebrating birthdays uh, with your siblings and. Well, I mean, as far as, like, birthday parties, I don't remember really, you know. But Christmas, um, that was the time of the year, which, you know, we didn't have very much. And uh, But my daddy always made sure we had apples, oranges, candy, you know, for Christmas. So we got that. There was a, uh, but I don't remember, I remember maybe a time or so, they had, you know, what they call Christmas charity, and I think, you know, we might have gotten a, you know, toy or so from, you know, but Christmas was, you know, Christmas was Christmas for us. If we got an apple and an orange and a piece of candy, we were just happy. And me being the oldest, you know, daughter or whatever, you know, at Christmas time, Daddy relied on me to cook cakes. So we I remember we had this big long freezer, like an old um chest type freezer. It was white. And we had it down in this room. And so it was I guess about the length of this table. So every Christmas for several years I can remember, um daddy would have me bake these cakes. Well, I baked them from cake mixes, you know, and uh, man, I'd have probably probably twelve or fifteen cakes just rolled up, you know, and they were all colors: yellow, pink, you know. There was, you know, the icing you got, but Daddy was so proud of me for those cakes, and you know, those cakes, you know, with nine kids, I mean, hey, <laughs> they might have lasted a couple of days, you know, but we were happy. That's I mean, awesome. we. You know, Christmas wasn't, you know, I mean, I tell my kid, even my kid and my grandkid when they got, you know, I said, you know, we were so happy at Christmas. We didn't get anything, but we were happy. Mm -hmm. I said, well, you know, the kids today, they get everything and they're not happy. You know, they're not appreciative. I mean, but we were so appreciative of that apple, that orange. Those nuts, a piece of candy. Mm -hmm. You know, we went, we would go outside and we would, I remember, you know, we lived on the farm in the mountain or whatever. So at Christmas time, we would go cut down a Christmas tree. We'd decorate it, you know, with, I don't know if you remember the like paper chains. Mm -hmm. We decorated with that. We didn't have ornaments to put on it. So did, you know. And we, I mean, we would be happy with that tree. Oh, God. You know, we were just thrilled to death with that tree. Chop, chop down your own tree. Huh? And, um, you know, when Christmas was over, we'd throw it off in the woods and all. And to this day, <laughs> to this day, you know, I don't really do, I have done live trees. But but even, I like to put up a Christmas tree. 
And I like to decorate it and all, but I would love to throw it in the woods. You know, uh. that's just how we were brought up. You know, I don't really like. I mean, I like putting ornaments and things on, but uh, I really don't like taking them off. I like to just, throw, just throw everything away. <laughs> yeah, but that's what we did. But like I said, we we would put the Christmas tree up, and um, that's awesome. Uh, we'd go find us a tree, and we get the axe, and we would chop it down, and we would bring it home. We would set it in a bucket of dirt, you know, and um, we. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, uh, so Christmas was something that you guys had celebrate. You really didn't get any presents, but you had good food and you cooked cakes and y'all ate we, good. We ate good. You, ate good. you know, as we got older, you know, we might, you know, they killed hogs and things like that. So we might have had some meat gotcha. at that time from killing the hogs. Mm. Uh, mama, I remember mama would and grandmama used to... Um, when they killed hogs, the sausage, oh, man, that was the best sausage I've ever had in my life, I do believe. You know, back then, they didn't have freezers and refrigerators and stuff. So most of everything that was done back in the day was like what they call canned, C-A-N-N-E-D. It was in jars. And I can remember so well, they would kill hogs and they would, can that sausage. They would fry the sausage, put it in a jar, pour the the grease off in the jar. Then they would turn the jar upside down so the grease was the preservative of the sausage. So when when company came, instead of you taking it out of the freezer, you know, like we do now, you would open that jar. And that mm. sausage was just like it was put in there yesterday. Okay. So that was one meat that we had. Mm. And, you know, and back then they canned a lot of things. So they canned green beans, beans. I mean, they canned everything. It wasn't no freezers and that kind of stuff. So everything was canned. So when company did come, they opened the cans, the canned jars of beans and that kind of stuff. Okay. So now, that, y'all didn't have, elect- well, you had electricity in, in the house that you lived in, but you didn't have running water, right? We well, were the last house. You didn't house, have electricity. Because we you, were the last house in the city of Huntsville to get utilities. No kidding. And my cousin Putin, we have a picture now of her uh, at that time. She was there and we, 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 Lived by candlelight. You lived by candlelight prior to getting yeah. electricity. Yes. No kidding. No kidding. Wow. All of this wonderful history we're <laughs> learning about the Jordan family today. I'm loving uh, this. I, I'm not sure, and I'm not going to try to quote the year we got it. And, uh, well, to let me this, ask you this late 60s, mid 60s, 70s? Because uh, I came around in 74. When I was there in 74, uh, well, seventy. Well, I remember maybe it being about maybe four or five years old, going over to the house, and there was electricity at that time because we would watch Soul Train. You know, so on it two probably TV was. I would say it was probably late sixties. Okay. And um, to this day, the utilities to our that to the home house, the house I'm in, and all. 
the utilities are run. The utility line is underneath the ground, underneath the what you call the long road, whatever you called it earlier. We call it the lane, which run from where we are now out to Winchester Road. Mm-hmm. The utilities, the utilities and phone are underneath the ground. Mm-hmm. Okay. They dug a big trench mid midway the road and buried the line underneath. So if y'all didn't have electricity and y'all were living by candlelight, you didn't really have running water coming in the house. You had a no, well. We had well. We had a well that we drew water from the well to drink, to bathe, you know. Did you ever have any issues with the well? Did anything ever get caught in the well that you guys had to clean out, or was it always fairly? Well, there was occasions where they had to, you know, clean the well out, but we didn't know it was never, you know, a stopping point for water supply or whatever. The well still exists where we are. You just have to find the exact location. No kidding. And it's probably still a stream there. So it was a stream that you guys are getting the water from. You built the well. The well, from. yeah, the well was the the water was drawn from a stream there. It was a like a wood um shaped frame that had the the what they call a pulley and the rope that hooked to the bucket mm-hmm. lowered off in there and you drew the water up, drew the bucket up. It was full of water. The water was Nice and clean and no, and I mean, good stream water. Cold, didn't have to worry about putting in a refrigerator. Well, we didn't have a refrigerator anyway, but. What about um, uh, using a bathroom? You guys had to go to an outhouse. We had an outhouse. Had an outhouse. We had an outhouse and. uh, Okay. Yep. As we got older and daddy, (laughs) we finally got our. First bathroom that Daddy kind of added on to, like, the porch, you know. Um, it's kind of like a bootlegged. Because uh, you had to go outside of the house in order to. So if you're upstairs in your rooms, right, you had to go outside the house down the stairs in order to get to the bathroom. No, right? the bathroom. It, was, it was upstairs porch. So there was a bathroom on the upstairs porch. You still yeah. had to go outside, out the door. Yeah, you had to, to go to out it. the door because upstairs was two rooms upstairs and two rooms downstairs. Okay. Upstairs was mom and daddy in the boys' bedroom. Mm-hmm. They, the boys was in that bunk bed you were talking about. Okay. <laughs> and the girls were on the other side. And uh, I remember us having a wood heater was in the middle of both rooms. We had wood heaters that uh, uh, supplied the heat. So, so was it a wood like a little chimney system or something like that? Wood heater with a chimney that went okay. straight up. That okay. the smoke went out the chimney. How did y'all cook? We had a wood stove. You had a wood stove too. Yeah. The downstairs. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Well, Lane T, this has been some very very good stuff you've been sharing with me. The last thing that I want to ask you is. If there's one thing that you want your family and friends to remember about you when you are long gone and generations later, you know, we're talking about Aunt Ruthie and we're learning about Aunt Ruthie. What do you want people to know? Well, I just I would just like for people to love their family, cherish what they had when they were little, which was very little. 
but cherish it, you know. Um, I tell, like I tell my son and grandson now, no matter how large or how small the gift is, treat it as if it was a piece of gold, you know. I mean, and that's kind of how, you know, I can take a little of nothing and just make something big out of it because in my bringing up, like I said, we had nothing. So we had to make something out of nothing, pretty much. Mm -hmm. So I will always, you know, tell my family that, uh, you know, just love your family and cherish what you have and, you know, in your upbringing. All right. Wise words from the wise Miss Ruthie Hambrick. I want to thank you all for listening. I'm going to make sure that this is shared with the family. If anybody wants to hear this, just let me know. Because when Ruthie, like I said, when she's long and gone, we're always going to have this to, to, to know her. And I really appreciate you once again taking the time to do this. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye.